Turn in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to cover verses 3 to 8. I titled this morning's message, God's Into Relationships. And this whole rest of Romans chapter 12, which is this practical section uh, of Romans, where Paul actually tells us how we are to walk now as believers, this section has to do with the body of Christ. And I think most of us here that know that Jesus Christ is the head of the body. If you didn't know that, the scriptures tell, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the head. We also, uh, we have those people in the church that are the arms. We might see Scott as one of the arms in the church. And, and maybe we see Jan as one of the hands in this church. We see Bruce as one of the, the feet in this church. We see Kyle as one of the, one of the big toes. <laughs> I love Kyle. One of the big toes. But it's a needed part. This issue of relationships. You see, the whole Christian walk, our whole Christian relationship with God, it's all about relationships. And it's, it's actually one of the areas that at times is the hardest to maintain good relationships with people. But it's needful. And God's into relationships. Paul started this chapter in verse 1 telling us that we are really, he's exhorting us that we're to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice that is holy, that is acceptable, an acceptable sacrifice to God. It's the most reasonable thing that we could do as a Christian. In light of what Christ has done for us, in light of what He's accomplished on that cross, if there was anything that I could give back to God, it would be to give my life as a living sacrifice unto Him. It's the most reasonable worship that we could give to God. God wants our bodies as living sacrifices. But He also wants our minds. He doesn't want just our bodies, He wants our minds. And we're called as Christians not to conform, in verse 2, to this world. Not to let this world just force us into its mold. Not not take on the systems and and the patterns that that are out in this world. We're not called to conform to that. But we're called as Christians to be transformed. I like that word, transformed. I like it because it's a work of God. God takes and transforms your mind. How many of you can think of where your mind was before Christ and where it is today? And that you could actually say, boy, that's a work of God. God has actually done something with my mind. He's given me a whole new reason for getting out of bed every day. What I'm all about, He is transforming my mind and renewing it through the Word of God. 
and by his Holy Spirit. He goes on to tell us at the end of verse 2, that as we begin to take on this renewed mind, that we would be able to prove or to test what is that good and that acceptable and that perfect will of God. That's a question that all of us have. We want to know. We want to walk in the will of God. Let God have His way in your body. Let God have His way in your mind. And I will tell you that you'll find it much easier to hear and find yourself in the place of knowing the will of God for you. I shared that these first two verses are foundational to the rest of this letter. We need to grab hold of verse 1 and 2 before the rest of this is really something that we're going to be able to take hold of and run with. We need to understand that God wants our bodies. He wants our minds. He wants, us to, he wants all of us, every bit of us. He doesn't want to just make us church attenders. He doesn't want us to feel content because we, we come to church you know, regularly and we're here all the time. You see, the Christian walk is so much more than that. God has a purpose for you. He calls you and I the body of Christ. This is the body right here. One local church full of people that are here that are all part of God's body. He's the head, we're the body. But the Christian life, like I've already said, is about relationships. Some of us don't even like that word (laughs) because we have a hard time with them. We struggle in relationships. But it's something that God wants to transform in us. He wants to help us in relationships. If you look at verse 1 and 2, you'll notice really that given our bodies as a living sacrifice and given our minds to God, it all has to do with our relationship this way, our relationship with God. In verses 3 to 8, where we're going to look at this morning, it's our relationship within the body of Christ. Another part of the relationships that we have. And then from verses 9 to 21, to the end of this chapter, it's going to be about our relationship with others, even others outside of this church, whether they are believers or non-believers. What relationship can we have with those people? But today we're going to look at our relationship within the body of Christ. Now yesterday at this VBS that we put on, That's really a time where we were able to see how the body of Christ, with all of its working parts, could put all of this together and come together and have this VBS, and it was really the body of Christ working in unison. It's an exciting thing to see. We all get encouraged when we we see there's an excitement in the body amongst each other to serve the Lord, to go on a missions trip, to do a VBS, to do the clothes closet, or whatever ministry it might be that we get ourselves involved in. We like to see how the body of Christ operates together. There's a lot of working parts within a church. You know, as I started assessing and listening and just kind of thinking about where those parts are in this church, 
I started thinking of our Sunday school teachers first off. There's quite a few of you that are involved with our, with our children. You teach them. There's helpers that go down there that are down there now ministering to our children. We have youth leaders in this church ministering to our youth. We have people that just run the kid check down there, checking our children in for security reasons. We have ushers in this church that have, we have a security team that watches over the church even while this service is going on. We have greeters that greet people that come in. We have a sound and media. We have a worship team. Just think of that worship team alone. We have guitars, we have drums, we have vocalists, and all of them are up here working together to lead us in worship. We have a kid's worship that goes downstairs. We have pastors and elders. We have a financial board that's in this church that, that gets together on a regular basis to talk about the finances of this church. We have uh, those that minister in our clothing closet. We have the bread of life ministry. We have the outside the walls ministry. We have a cleaning crew that comes here to this church. You never see them. You just come here and see that the floor is vacuumed, that the bathrooms have been cleaned. But we have a cleaning crew that comes to this church and cleans this church weekly. And we have all of these various, we have a yard maintenance. When you pull up to this church, you see the yard mode out there. Somebody is getting sweaty during the week and doing those yards. It's the body of Christ working together for the glory of God. We have this Operation Christmas Child that somebody is leading up and we're all taking part in that. We have a men's ministry and a women's ministry. And that's just some of them. There's other areas that people are serving in this church body that you will never see, but they are. And it's what causes the body to grow healthy, or at least it should be. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can turn there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he speaks of the church as a body. He says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. You see, that's how we're to view it. This is one body, but there's many members in this body. He says, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Don't you like the way Paul just presents this? He gives us this, this picture in our mind of this body and all the working parts that are in it. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleases. What's your place in this body? Where does God have you positioned? What gifts has he given you to use within the body of Christ? If you have found your place, you have listened to the Lord, you're actively involved in this body, then God has placed you there strategically. 
He knows the gifts that He's given you, and He places you within the body of Christ. As the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you, no, uh, no much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker, they're necessary. I'm thankful that we have people that do some of the very small detailed things that happen in this church that no one else sees, but it gets done. It takes things off of somebody else's plate so that more can be done. That's how the body of Christ works. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts is greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks. And then he says this, verse 25, that there be no schism in the body. He says all of that, and then he says that there be no schism in the body. Anybody know what a schism is? A schism is, devi- uh, is defined as being rent. Being rent means you're tearing something apart. No division. Dissension. A split or a gap. That's what a schism in the body is. That there would be no schism in the body. As the body works together as one unit with many parts and many gifts that there would be no tearing apart of one another. But that the members should have the same care for one another. In other words, the way that I want to be treated is the way I want to treat others. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Did you know that Calvary Chapel has church membership? We do. God calls us members of this body. If you're born again and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're part of this church and you're a member of Calvary Chapel Fellowship. God knows that. And God wants to use you as part of this body. Relationships within the body of Christ. Anybody here ever been a part of a church that split? Anybody ever been a part of a church where you had struggles in relationships? You see, that's not how God designed it to work. But here's the problem. We have flesh, don't we? We have stuff that gets in the way. And you know what? God doesn't put that stuff in there. It's our flesh that gets in the way. That's what causes schisms within the body of Christ. Paul starts out in verse 3. Look at your Bibles, chapter 12, verse 3. He's speaking about our mind. He's speaking about our way of thinking. He's, He's speaking about these relationships that we have within the body of Christ. But in verse 3, Paul is going to show that that consecrated life that we read about in in verse 1 and 2, giving your bodies as living sacrifices, letting your, your minds be renewed, that consecrated life unto God, that it's to be carried out in our bodies, 
in our actions, in what we do within the body of Christ. It's characteristic of a life that has been given to God as a living sacrifice. Now, if we haven't been, and we're not in that place in our walks with Christ, it's very easy for the enemy to get in. It's very easy for those schisms and those complaints and those things that could arise within our hearts to get in there. When our lives are consecrated to God, He's the reason why I'm here. He's what it's all about. And that I see a member of this church hurting, it hurts me. And and I'm concerned to the glory of God that everyone is doing well. That glorifies God. We can glorify God in this church or we could, God might be saying, you know what, I've got a letter I'd like to write to you. Because there's areas that need to be corrected. If we don't correct ourselves, God is very good at correcting us. So how should we as Christians be thinking of ourselves in light of other members, other parts of the body? How should we perform our duties in the church? Uh, Use those giftings that God has, has given to us in the body of Christ. How should our thinking be? How should we be thinking in this regard? Let's read the text. Chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's our text this morning. It's relational. It's relationships within the body of Christ. The first thing that we see in verse 1 Paul says that we are to think soberly. For I say through the grace given to me, Paul says, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith. Paul does not tell the believer to take an attitude that finds pleasure in humiliation or in degradation. Rather, the idea is that we should see the truth about ourselves. This is what we should do. We need to look inward at ourselves and live in light of that. What do I see when I look at myself? What do I see when I see how I operate within the body of Christ? When we see ourselves for who we really are, the capacity to even... Not 
minister to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to be a complainer with them, to, to do whatever. When we see ourselves for who we are, we're able to correct it. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, lest you fall, the scripture says. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to a church. He's writing it to the body of believers that were at the church in Rome. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says this, To all who were in Rome, he's speaking about the church there, beloved of God, called to be saints, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's how Paul starts out this letter. Grace to you all. We need it. You need it. I need it. God's grace. Paul finished this letter in chapter 16, verse 20. He says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He also said in 1624, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And he says it again, amen. You see, we need God's grace. None of us can minister here apart from it. If you try to do it apart from God's grace, you'll fail. If you try to do it, you'll get frustrated with your ministry. You'll get angry at what you're doing. It won't be fulfilling. It won't glorify God. And really, we just should not do it if we can't do it out of the right heart. We need God's grace to be able to perform anything that we do for Him. The Apostle Paul knew that in his own life. He received that grace. He received it in his apostleship. He knew that I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. Anything that Paul ever did, any way that he ministered, he knew that it was going to be only through the grace of God. Do you see your ministry as being contingent upon you relying upon the grace of God? Can you teach Sunday school apart from the grace of God? Can you usher? Can you be in security? Can you do anything? Can you be a husband or wife apart from the grace of God? You can't do it. Paul also wrote in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Through him, speaking about God, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all, all nations for his name. This word grace that we read about so often in the Bible, all the way through Scripture, God's grace. It's actually used in various forms. It's a topic that if we were going to teach, I was going to teach on today, we could spend a whole week talking about God's grace. All the various scriptures that refer to it. But we receive grace from God the Father and also from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 5.15, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. If you're saved, and you, then you've been touched by that grace. You've been forgiven. You've experienced firsthand the grace of God in your life. To be in favor with people is to find grace with them. 
the early church, we read in the book of Acts, those 3,000 that got saved on that day of Pentecost. And in chapter 2, it gives us a, a, a real clear picture of what was going on in a healthy church, a church that was functioning well. It says in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord. This is, these are brand new believers. This is the early church. They were continuing daily with one accord, underline those words, in the temple, breaking of bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor. Those are another words to underline. Having favor with all the people, and then it says, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Doesn't it sound so simple? Church should be simple. Don't complicate it. Don't allow all of the th- dynamics of people and all the things that can go on, all the things that can go on within the body of Christ to cloud the simplicity that God wants the church to operate in. It's very simple. If we just do these simple things, God will be glorified in it. God will draw people to this church. People will get saved out of this fellowship if we do it God's way. Grace is a word that is set in contrast to debt. You know what debt is. Most of us have found ourselves in debt at times. Grace is is set in contrast to debt. It's getting something that you don't deserve. Do you like that? Getting things that you don't deserve? You know, you're walking down the street and somebody hands you a hundred dollar bill. Who are you? But thank you. I mean, we just, we receive it, we take it. We didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it, we didn't work for it. Somebody just gave it to us. God's grace. He didn't know it to me. He just simply gave it to me. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace have you been saved through faith. It's not that of yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone would be able to boast. God's grace. This grace is defined this way. Listen to the definition. It's the Greek word charis, and it's defined this way. That which affords joy, wherever you find grace being ministered amongst people, there's joy. There's joy in the midst. It's also defined as pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm loveliness and all of this leads to grace of speech all of this leads to grace of speech what comes out of our mouth what we say is what's typically what's inside what's going on inside grace of speech you know if we could just learn to tame this tongue if we could just learn to have grace flowing off of our tongues towards one another, wow, how many problems would be solved? How many fewer schisms within the church? It's so important, church. I mean, it's what we're called to 
as believers. God extended it towards us, and we're called to extend it towards one another. The Apostle Paul, he knew this grace in his own personal life. He experienced it. And and you see, unless you experience it, it's hard to give it, isn't it? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet, he says, it was not I. I labored more abundantly than all of them, yet it wasn't me, but it was the grace of God that was with me. Do you see that? Paul also said in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Paul first experienced it. And then he extended it to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, by the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in the other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be heirs of the same body. You see, Paul had to come to grips with it. Just the fact that the Gentiles, by the grace of God, were part of God's plan, part of God's promise of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God that was given to me, he says, by the effective working of his power to me who am least or less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. How important is it? In the message that we preach, in the message that we share, God's grace, He wants to extend it to you. He wants to forgive you of all of your sin. That's the grace of God. He touched my life. He can touch your life. We have, uh, most of us have heard, and I don't have time to read what I have written out here, but it has to do with that symphony. You know what a symphony is. I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but you see all of those people in that orchestra playing those instruments. And when they play those instruments, they all have to tune to one instrument. When that piano starts up and they hit that key and they begin to tune all of their instruments into that so that there there will be this unity amongst the orchestra. As they're beginning to play, they're all in tune together. That should be the body of Christ. That should be how we operate. We have the same focus and vision of where we're going, what we're all about. And there's this unity in our midst. We need to be that orchestra. We need to be that orchestra of believers here in this body that is going to make a difference. It's going to actually create a beautiful sound that there would be no schisms that this world would see. There would be no division. You know how many people have been hurt through a church that was divided? 
a church that divided and separated. Lives have been hurt through that. It's discord. It's one of the things that God hates to have to sow discord amongst the brethren. The instruments that required for tuning in and, and coming to that same pitch, that's the body. We tune in. Uh, the body of Christ. Each believer kind of tuning in to Him. That's what we're called to do. King David wrote in Psalm 133, verse 1, he says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. How good. Wow. It's a place I like to be. People dwelling together in unity. That's, that, what, a, what a joy. What a place to be. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring, that word endeavoring means that you need to exert yourself. You need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. There's only one. There's only one body. Many parts, many working parts, but one body of believers working in unison to the glory of God. God has given you gifts. You may not know that. If you know what your gift or gifts are, then you've come to know that and should be using them. If you don't know what your gifts are or your gift, then you need to say, God, would you show me? That's simple. God, would you reveal to me what my gift is, that I might use that within the body of Christ? Paul in our text here refers to some specific gifts that are operating within the body of Christ. Now, there are people that have got in and tried to count up how many gifts are spoken of in the Bible. Gifts that God, by His Spirit, has given to the church and to believers. That list of gifts, it ranges anywhere from 18 to 25, depending on who you're talking to. But what I see is I count up seven of them that we see in Romans chapter 12 here this morning. I see in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, I see nine gifts, spiritual gifts that are listed there. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 16, we see five gifts that are list listed in that book of the Bible. That's 21 gifts that I found, looking at all the various gifts. There's the, the, there's the word of wisdom, in scripture. There's the word of knowledge. There's the gift of faith. There's the gift of healings, the gift of working of miracles, prophecy, the discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helps, administration, ministry, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, apostleship, evangelism, and pastor. That's the 21. 21 specific gifts. 
And I believe that there are other giftings that God gives to the body that are not listed in Scripture, that God has given to individuals to operate within the body. This is the main list of Scripture that we see, the gifts within the body of Christ. Oh, the last one, some put celibacy as one of the gifts. I've never prayed for that one, but some people believe that's a, a gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. Is anyone ignorant here? We'll have to get into a study sometime specifically on what each of those gifts are. But he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant, Christians, about spiritual gifts. You know that you were Gentiles carried away with those dumb idols. However you were led, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, Paul says, but they're all by the same Spirit. If you have a gift, they all came from the same Spirit of God. Not a different source, whatever. It's the same Spirit. There are different uh, differences of ministries within the body, but it's the same Lord. It's the same spirit, it's the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities within the church, but it's the same God who works all in all. Paul says it all comes from the same source. And so this manifestation of the spirit, uh, he's the one that delves out to the body of Christ, these particular gifts, it comes from God's Holy Spirit to you. And then Paul goes and he, and he lists those gifts that I already read to you in Corinthians there. But let's look at what Paul says concerning his list here in Romans. Look at your Bibles at verse 6. Having then gifts differing. Now, gifts that are differing speaks of what? Diversity. There are diversities amongst the gifts that are in this body. Diversity is good, isn't it? Aren't you glad we're not all a hand? We're not all an eye? We're not all a foot or a big toe? Aren't you glad that we all have this diversity of gifts? I'm good. I'm really happy when I see somebody that can do something better than I can do. I don't long to have all of the gifts in the church so that I can do it all. I like it when I see those gifts that you have and you're putting them to use. And you're actually doing it better than me. And you know, I'm a team player and we all need to be team players. I want to see you exercise your gift and do those things within the body of Christ that'll benefit all of us. It'll benefit me. That's how the body of Christ should work. Having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them, Paul says. Well, be, be the opposite of that. You're not using them. If you know what your gift is, then let us use them. He goes on to say, if it's prophecy, then let us prophesy in the proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. And he who teaches, then teach. And he who exhorts, then exhort. And he who gives, give with liberality. And he who leads, do it with diligence. And he who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. That's Paul's list of the gifts that have been given to the body of Christ. 
according to the grace that is given to us. Diversity. And also God's discretion. You see, some of us might struggle with the fact, why am I cleaning toilets and using my helps ministry to help in this body, and you're up there getting all the glory teaching? Why am I doing this ministry in the church? But I'd love to be doing that one. I mean, no one even sees what I do here. You see, there's, there's that issue of our heart that some kinds can well up with envy over somebody else's gift. How God is using them. And man, I wish I was being used like that. We need to be careful. We need to be content with the giftings that God has given to us. And we need to use them. And, we, and we, we don't get discouraged with it. Just be thank. I am so thankful for those people that come and clean this church. Oh, I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful for, I, I mean, just the smallest of things that get done in this church by somebody that's faithful to do them. Having gifts that are differing, that's the diver- diversity you know, that grace that is given to all of us, you know, all of us have, and the Holy Spirit has given these gifts to each one of us, not based on your merit. There's not a merit system here where you kind of work your way up the ladder. That's the way the world does things. God doesn't work on a merit system. It's by His grace that any one of us even has a gift that He says, I want to use. Aren't you amazed? Have you ever said to yourself, God, I'm, I'm amazed that you would use me. I'm, I'm blown away that you would even consider me to do what I'm doing. And, and can you do your ministry with joy when no one has even seen what you're doing? That's when you know you're doing it under the Lord. Diversity and discretion of the Holy Spirit. If we had four hands on our body, where we normally have two feet and two hands, but if you had four hands, it would be an awkward situation, wouldn't it? It wouldn't work very well. And you see, we, we, need, to, we need to look at one another as, you know what, you're an intricate part of this body. You know, what God is doing with you, I thank the Lord for what God is using you in. We need to be team players. We need to love diversity amongst the body. We need to love to see the varying gifts within the body of Christ. We need to, to, to not let our own limitations and, and you know, those things that we feel like we can't do. We, it's okay to let people do those things. If prophecy, Paul says, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, this gift of prophecy is sometimes in Scripture, it's a prediction of future things. But it's actually more often just the proclamation of God's Word. Prophecy in Scripture is the proclamation from, of God's Word from a person's lips. That God gives them that gift of prophecy. It's, it's actually speaking the mind of Christ to get up and actually teach the Word of God 
to hear from the Word of God and to convey that is speaking the mind of Christ. That's the gift of prophecy. When a person speaks with this gift, Paul says, let it be in the proportion to his faith or the prophet must speak within the limits of his faith. In other words, I can't say to you any more than what God has shown me. I shouldn't go outside of the bounds of what my faith enables me to do when I teach. I teach what God has shown me to you. That's what Paul says that we should. Let him prophesy in proportion to our faith. God has not given that gift to every single one of us. Some of us are communicators of truth, and we all are as Christians. We share the gospel. You're actually a communicator of the truth of God. But you're not necessarily do you have the gift of teaching just because you go out and you open your mouth for God. You're a communicator of the gospel. But the gift of teaching is somebody that stands before the people or sits before the people and actually communicates and gives understanding to the word of God, exhorts the people through the word of God, encourages the people through the word of God. That's the gift of teaching. That's the gift of prophecy being worked out in the church. Or he says of ministry, then let us use it in our ministering. You see, serving in the body of Christ in practical ways, that ministry, uh, the word deacon that we find in the book of Acts. It's not even actually used in the book of Acts as the word deacon. It's, it's those, but that's what they were recognized as, as deacons, servants within the body of Christ, doing various tasks of ministering within the body of Christ. Things that people typically don't even see, but they're out there ministering. In your ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. Uh, you say that's a gift, uh, a gift, a gift of exhortation. Some of you, I believe, have the gift of exhortation. I've seen you use it. I've received of it. The gift of exhortation is when a person applies truth and he's encouraging to people in doing it. He's encouraging them to take a different direction or to take a direction. That gift of exhortation. And it happens within the body of Christ because we need to be exhorted. Every time the word of God is opened and it's taught, there should be exhortation that comes forth. It's what the word of God does. But God can use individuals in that way. Within though you're not a teacher, you're not the pastor, you're not getting up to, but you have this gift of exhortation. And I'll tell you, if you're if it's operating in the right way, it's encouraging to people. And I'm not talking about the gift of condemnation. You know, there's no gift there. And that's that's somebody else that tries to do that. I'm talking about the gift of exhorting people to follow the Lord, to walk hard, to follow after Christ. But it's doing it in a way to encourage people to do that. He who gives, do it with liberality, which I believe speaks of those people within the body of Christ who are in a sense like a channel that God can work through. Uh, he 
takes their resources, and it's not always money. It's not always material things, though it can be. But he uses those resources that that person has, and he uses that person that has this gift of giving. Have you ever been around a person like that? Some of you, I have been the recipient of people with that gift that have given to me. Some of you, and I know a number of you, have received from people within this church that have given to you in various ways. That gift of giving was exercised in this church, and you were the recipient of it. And all you just said, oh, thank you, Lord. What a blessing. And you know those people at times. They just seem to give and give and give. And then some of us look at it and go, man, I wish I was like that. It's like a need comes up and go, hey, let me, do, let me get that for you. Let me help you. you know, let me go do this for you. Let me, they just have this whole heart attitude of just give, give, give. Do it with liberality. It's important that this gift, this gift of giving, that it be done with liberality if you have it. Because you know what? Uh, if any gift that we have, we're called to give it our all. Give it our diligence. Do the best we can for the Lord. That's what God calls us to do. And if that's an area of your, of your life that you know the Holy Spirit has given you, then do it and do it well. He who leads, he says, do it with all of your diligence. If you're a leader in this church and you're just kind of you know, lax, you know, that's, you're not giving your diligence to it. Leaders are those who are leading, aren't they? You see, you can be a leader or at least think you're a leader, but nobody's following. And you go, are you a leader? No one even wants to follow out of you. They don't like your manner of leading. They don't like anything. They're no one following, but you think you're a leader. I'm a leader. No one's following, no, no one's behind me. That's not leading. You see, people that are real leaders, people want to follow. They'll follow their lead. They'll take them into battle. They'll take them into those places and they'll lead. He who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Paul says this gift of mercy that it, that it needs to be done with cheerfulness. For some, showing mercy towards the hurting people, the outcast, it's a difficult thing to do. Some of us want, man, my heart is kind of, man, I just don't have that same kind of mercy that I want to extend towards those people that are just, they're like the downcast. They're the people that are out, you know, I just have a hard time showing that kind of mercy. And then somebody comes along with that gift in the body and they're just showing mercy towards these individuals in these situations. You're going, man, that's incredible how they operate. It's a gift of God. And aren't you thankful that there are those that have that gift of mercy within the body of Christ? Do it with cheerfulness. This gift of mercy is seen by the person that has it as being supernatural. 
We act, even ourselves, we look at it and go, by my very makeup, that's not really me. It's God in me, giving me this heart, this compassion to want to see this person's need met, to be merciful towards those that are caught up in their sin, those that are just, you know, struggling in life. You know, some of you, you know, get on with it. Just get on with it. And others go, how can I help? What can I do? Can I pray for you? That's the difference. We need to make sure that whatever your gift is, and remember, this is just a short list. There's 21 or more, but there's at least 21. And, and whatever your gift is, then ask God to show you. And then use it within the body of Christ. If you don't use it, you're robbing me. If I don't use my gift, I'm robbing you. You see, there is a benefit to all of us if we use our gifts in unison, together. Next week, we're going to finish this chapter and we're going to talk about relationships with others. I'm talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about believers and I'm talking about unbelievers. How do we approach people in relationships when we're Christians? Look what Paul says, and I'm going to finish with this. Look at your Bibles at verse 9. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably, peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's next week. That's a lot. You're thinking, man, that might be a two-hour message. No, it probably won't. But there's a lot there. And all of this has to do with relationships. Relationships. It's what we're called to as Christians. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.